Hi. Have you ever wondered if God has made the right choice? The right choice in placing you as the parents of your kids, or the right choice in God placing you as the leader or the owner of that business with all those people you need to lead and develop, or perhaps you feel unqualified and and unable to do what God's asked you to do? Even in my role as pastoring over these many years, there's times I've wondered, God, have you made the right call? Have you made the right choice? I know you can do anything, but you really want to use us to do something significant, to do something uh, to, to lead a church? Now, so if you're anything like me, we, we can easily look around at other people or other churches or other families, and we can easily start to compare ourselves and forget that God's called each one of us to do something unique. And so uh, I'd hope if you can relate to any of those thoughts, maybe this message and and next week's message will really help you. Uh, Today is 42 days from Easter Sunday. That's six weeks. And uh, can anyone uh, recall what happens on day 40? Anyone? Hands up, anyone? If you can think, what happened on day 40 after Jesus' resurrection? Did someone say he rose again? No, he didn't rose again. Oh, he ascended again. He rose to heaven. That's right. This is the return of Jesus. We call it the ascension. And I was wondering, why didn't Jesus go straight from the grave to heaven? Why was it that he waited 42 days? Yeah, the number 40 is quite a significant number. It appears 146 times in Scripture. And and 40 can typically mean it's a season. Um, Moses was... Uh, took the nation of Israel 40 years in the desert. Uh, Goliath taunted Israel 40 days. Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, Noah sent us, um, or the rain fell for 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights. And so 40 is a significant number and it does define a season or a time. And it's not always a bad season. It's typically associated like a time of testing or proving, but it's not always a bad time. And so today we come to my message. This is the last part in my, between the resurrection and the return. This is the return, so there's no more than the return, although there is, and we'll talk about that next week. Um, But today's the last message, and 40 days have gone by. Jesus has come and spoken to his disciples. We saw uh, Jesus intentionally over these 40 days. Why didn't he return, you're asking? Well, over these 40 days, he had some work to do. He needed to go and visit Thomas, who was doubting his calling he then intentionally came for Peter, who was, who was doubting who he was and, and felt that his failure had totally disqualified him from the call that he had. They were dealing with all sorts of doubts, dealing with all sorts of questions, uncertainties about Jesus, about themselves. And Jesus came to them, for them, to help them work through their, their struggles. What I love about those stories, and I've talked about them over the last few weeks, but Jesus does not treat us, har- does not treat us harshly. When we're struggling or feeling unsure or when we're feeling weak, Jesus doesn't come and beat us up. He calls to us and he says, like he says to Thomas, don't be faithless any longer, just believe. And he says to us, like he says to Peter, he invites us into a relationship. He comes and cooks us breakfast and he says, come and sit with me. And out of that come relationship. And we, he asks the question, do we love him? And of course we love him. I know there's times we've all let him down, but he calls us beyond our failure. And he calls us to, to lift up our eyes to a bigger vision, which is to love and to care for people. And so Jesus came in those 40 days very intentionally. And Acts chapter 1 verse 3 tells us, what happens? This is Luke recording his account. And he goes, Luke chapter 1 verse 3, uh, Luke says, During the 40 days after he suffered and died, 
he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So here we read that in those 40 days, Jesus met with the apostles from time to time. In fact, about 10 times is recorded. And he came to prove to them that he really was alive, prove to them that uh, he was going to use them and encourage them, restore them and talk about the things of the kingdom of God. And so at the end of the 40 day period, we come to what when Jesus returns back to heaven, we know that as the ascension. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, we, we read some things about the ascension of Jesus. And it says, now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. Isn't that great? So when Jesus returned to heaven, he returned to the place of honor at God's right hand. Romans would tell us it's at that place of honor at God's right hand that he's interceding for us, that he's speaking on our behalf. That right now Jesus is sitting at God's right hand talking to God about you and about me. And he's, he's, he's acting on our behalf and speaking on our behalf to the Father God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21 tells us about what happened when Jesus ascended. And it says that Jesus, God placed him in the place of highest honor. And in verse 21, Ephesians 1, it says that he is in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power is exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything, and at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. You see, Jesus' ascension was a powerful event. It was when Jesus was reunited back into the Godhead, and this had incredible impact on the disciples. In fact, we'll talk about this next week, but when he returned to heaven, he sent the gift the Father had promised Uh, the very Holy Spirit, His very Spirit would come on the day of Pentecost. And so in these 40 days, He came and He spoke to His disciples and He needed to set them up for a future without Him physically. In fact, He would tell them in in the Gospel of John, He would tell them, it's better for you that I go away. And so the disciple, Jesus meets with His disciples over these 40 days, encourages them, rebuilds them. And in the last event we have recorded, before he returns to heaven, we come to what we typically know as the Great Commission. Everyone say that. The Great Commission. And so all four Gospels contain the heart of the Great Commission. They express it in different ways. And it it effectively is Jesus' last command to his disciples. It's the last interaction that Jesus would have with his friends face to face before he returns to heaven. And we're going to look at Matthew's account of this. So Matthew chapter 28, it's probably the most well-known account of the Great Commission. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says that Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a that's a great that's a great commission. That's the great commission. It's actually a great message that that Jesus loves them, that Jesus cares for them, and and the church has been entrusted with the task of of sharing this good news to all people. It's a great message, it's a fantastic message that Jesus came to to restore relationship 
back between you and me and the world to the Father through his death on the cross. It's a great message. It's a great commission. It's a great opportunity. But the need is great around our world. If ever there was a time that needs a message of hope and love that is found in the message of Jesus and restoration and reconciliation, it's now. So it's a great commission. It's a great message. And there's a great need. And the Great Commission was and still is God's plan A for the world to have an encounter with the love of Jesus. It's when God's followers, his disciples, his church, take hold of what he's called them to do, that we believe that the world can be transformed. Jesus believed that. God established that. And so I want to draw our attention this morning to Matthew 28, which we're at, but the verses before the Great Commission. So back, back to verse 16. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Now this is a fascinating verse. There are a number of opinions. I'm talking a number of opinions regarding who doubted and what they doubted about. I'm going to put my glasses on. I know some of you are finding this really frustrating. Me holding it, I'll wear them just for you. There we go. So there is a number of opinions on who was doubting and what they were doubting about. And over the last few weeks, we've certainly seen that Thomas doubted. We saw that Peter doubted. And it's likely that all 11 of the disciples doubted to some extent that Jesus was truly alive. But they had all met Jesus after the resurrection, so they weren't doubting his resurrection. So what was it that they doubted? So, you know, the word for doubt, uh, the the Greek word, which I'm not going to try to pronounce because I'll probably get it wrong, but the Greek word is only ever used, Matthew only ever uses the Greek word for doubt twice. One time is this passage here when they doubted. The second time is a a familiar story when, when Peter walks on water. And so you might know the story, the storm is on the sea. Jesus comes walking to the disciples on the water. And Peter says, Lord, if that's you, uh, tell me to come and walk on water. And so Matthew 14, verse 29, Jesus says, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? That's the same word for doubt as Matthew uses on the mountainside where the disciples were doubting. It seems that when Matthew uses the word doubt here, the disciples aren't aren't doubting who Jesus is. Peter didn't doubt who Jesus was. I mean, he was fully confident. Well, he said, if it's you, tell me to come. And so Peter knew if it was Jesus that Jesus can do the miraculous and Peter can come walking on water. Peter understood that if this truly is Jesus, the doubt wasn't in Jesus' nature or his character. It seems, as I read the context of the scripture, the doubt here seems to be connected to when Peter saw the wind and the waves. Verse 30, when he saw the winds and the waves. It seems to me that his doubt was linked to what he was looking at. It didn't matter what Jesus said. So Jesus had already called him and Jesus had told him to come. And and Peter was walking on the water. But all of a sudden, Peter looked at the things around him and thought, hang on a sec. People aren't supposed to walk in water. Walk. Something is not right here. 
Peter started to look at his external realities and start to think, hang on a sec, I know Jesus called me, but something is not right. I'm doing something that should not be able to get done. Jesus has asked me to do something impossible. And so at that point, Peter saw the waves and the wind, and he paid more attention to his external circumstances than what Jesus had already called him to do. At that point, Peter started to step out. Well, he started in a realm of faith, and then he ended in a realm of sight. He started looking at Jesus and said, Lord, if it's you, let me come and let me walk on water. Let me do something impossible. He started at a place of faith, but he ended in a place of sight where he saw the things around him. And this doubt of his causes him to waver, to stop and think, hang on a sec, what is going on here? It caused him to doubt his ability to do what Jesus wants him to do. Jesus said, come. And Peter's doubt started making Peter think, well, I can't be doing, I, I shouldn't be. It's impossible that I'm doing that. It's impossible that I can do this. See, doubt limits our ability to be who call, God calls us to be. I'll say that again because I stumbled, but it's important. Doubt limits our vision and our ability to be who God calls us to be. And I think it's this understanding of doubt, because Matthew used it twice. This context of doubt may help us understand why the disciples doubted on the mountainside. Do you remember verse 17 comes directly before the Great Commission? The disciples had no doubt that Jesus had all authority and power. They'd seen it. They'd, they'd not only seen the miracles, they'd, they'd seen him crucified, they'd seen him dead, and then they saw him alive. They knew that Jesus could do anything. They had no doubt that Jesus had all authority, that he had all power, they had no doubt that Jesus could change the world. What I think they doubted, I think they doubted that Jesus would want to use them. Like Peter, these disciples were more focused on their inability than their ability. <coughs> they were more focused on what they can do, what they can't do, than what Jesus calls them to do. You know, I remember when we were applying for the role of um, pastoring at Hunter Christian Church. And God, in our world, God supernaturally stepped in and he, and he spoke to us in an amazing way. And for us, for me particularly, it was really easy for me to trust God in the big things. It was easy for me to, to step out in faith when I could hear him call and to step out of the boat, out of our current church. I never once doubted God's supernatural call and action in our world. That was about almost four years ago, I guess. Um, I did, however, so I didn't doubt my world of faith. I doubted my external world. I doubted when I, when I started to Google and look up house prices and rent prices and car insurance prices. And I started to doubt and I looked at the school fees and I, and I started to look at my external circumstances. At that, I started, oh my God, maybe you're not calling us there because I can't afford that. See, in the natural world, my, I, I looked at my external stuff and I started to question my supernatural world. And so when we came for our interview, uh, uh, Pastor Rick Murrell, uh, that's Sky's dad, who's uh, since passed away. But Pastor Rick and, and Bev, we had the, uh, probably supper with them one evening while we were here. 
And I was just sort of wrestling with, with them. I was wrestling with this tension. I know God's called us to leave our church and this is the opportunity, but I'm struggling looking at my external realities. I'm struggling to see how I can actually do this. And I was just being really real with them. And you know, it's really good to have people in your world that you can share your struggles and uncertainties with, people who will love you, but people like Pastor Rick, who, uh, who looked at me and really challenged me. Because he, he really challenged me in the realm of, okay, if God is going to supernaturally bring you here, do you think God wants you to operate in the natural realm? Can, can, you can trust God to, to supernaturally get your attention and to, and to relocate you. So can you also trust God that he's going to te- take care of the external stuff, take care of the stuff that is, that is visible to you? And that really challenged me. And I, I left that time with uh, Pastor Rick and Bev, just really my, my faith lifted and my vision restored. Just uh, all that needed to happen at that point was that you guys would say yes. And you did. So that's all good. Anyway, so what I'm saying is sometimes we can have great faith in what God can do. We can have great faith in the supernatural dynamics and dimension of God. But we can have, when we start to look at their external stuff, the stuff that is the winds, the waves, the circumstances, we can start to doubt the supernatural. And so I think that's what the disciples found themselves in. And so when it comes to the Great Commission, Jesus never expected the disciples to be able to accomplish the Great Commission by themselves. And so they had no need to doubt. And we will see next week that the Great Commission, it requires great power. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Luke would write regarding his telling of the Great Commission, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. Between the resurrection and the return. For 40 days, Jesus came and intentionally spoke and gave life and hope and meaning to his disciples. He came and he spoke to their doubt. He spoke to their failure. He spoke to their mistakes. He spoke to their uncertainties. And he came in those 40 days to show his disciples that none of them were disqualified from their call. None of them were were excused or none of them were put aside from the high calling that he has for them. You know, Jesus did that because there is a world that desperately needs him. There is a world that desperately needs to experience his peace and his joy and his love. And that's the world that we live in. The world that we live in, there's people around us that are in desperate need to be set free from the chains of bondage, the chains of addiction, the chains of, of, of depression and, and, and self-worth and identity. There's people around us that are in desperate need of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's great news. It's a great message. In fact, it's a great commission. But we need his power to help us accomplish that. All throughout scripture, as I read it, it seems that God chooses the ordinary, in fact, less than ordinary men and women to accomplish extraordinary things. That gives me great hope that God can choose just ordinary people like like me, like you. 
that God can choose everyday people. God's not looking for superstars. God's not looking for the people who have it all together. God is looking for people who are willing, like his disciples were, to say yes to him. And who are willing to, to give their life to pursue what God has given them. God chose 11 disciples. He chose them, and they're still a quite a messed up bunch. But he chose them in spite of their doubts, in spite of their fears. He chose them to change the world. And God is still choosing us today. You know, I, I, I know you don't feel good enough. There's times I don't feel good enough. There's times I don't feel smart enough. There's times I don't feel qualified enough. There's times I, I, I feel I've, I've let him down too many times. There's times when I feel I've, yeah, yeah, I feel like you so many times. But the question I have is, if God has called you, if God has called me, who are we to doubt? If God has called us to, to be that parent or to be that businessman or be that pastor or leader, if God has called us to lead that small group or God has called us to lead those group of kids at school or at work, if God has called us to, to uh, speak life and hope to those people at, at work or in the lunchroom or at the gym, if God has called us, who are we to doubt that call on his life? You see, this is where Peter started to fail. This is where Peter started to sink. He knew Jesus had called him, but it's when he started to look at himself and his circumstances that he started to think, hang on a sec, maybe Jesus didn't call me. He started to doubt. No wonder Jesus said to him, you little faith, why did you doubt me? So what about you? This morning, let's, let's pause, well then pause, let's just take a breath. What about you this morning? Are you, are you doubting what Jesus says about you? Are you doubting that you have been called and placed by him in your family to make a difference? Are you doubting that, that you can make a difference in your workplace? Are you doubting that you can break that habit? Are you doubting that you can raise those kids? Are you doubting that you can do that ministry? Are you doubting that you can change the world? Maybe the world seems too big. Are you doubting that you can bring hope and life and love to another person? See, when you start to doubt what Jesus says about you, looking at the winds and the waves, when we start to doubt, we start to look at all the reasons he can't use us and all the reasons why we can't be who he's called us to be. When that happens, we lose our focus of Jesus and we start to focus on the other things. That's when we start to sink. We become overwhelmed. We become discouraged. We think less of ourselves and think, how could Jesus ever use me? The solution is simple. Peter knew it. He called out to Jesus for his help. And Jesus took hold of him and he lifted him up. He restored him back and he walked with Jesus back to the boat. Now, this is really important, this message, because I believe God has a really important plan for you, for me, for us, and together as his church. I believe God calls us to be salt and light. To God calls us to be a city on a hill. To God calls us to, to be an army, to be, a, to be a people that are called by his name. God calls us to show his love to others. He needs us to do that. And he needs us to help them find peace and joy that we find in him to point others to him as well. You know, our world may be very different to what Jesus' world was. In fact, our world is very different to what it was three months ago. But the purpose and the plan of God hasn't changed. 
you know, more than ever your friends and your family and the people around you are in need of the hope and love that Jesus brings. They're in need of the freedom from um, oppression and shame and guilt. They're, they're in desperate need of that. And Jesus has chosen me and he's chosen you to go and do that task. That's his call on us. What a great, what a great call. What a great message we have to share. What a great opportunity we have. What a great commission that he gives us. What a great calling that each one of us have. It doesn't matter if you feel qualified or unqualified. In fact, it's probably better if you feel unqualified. It doesn't matter if you've got the degrees. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about anything. What matters is that he has called you. He has called us together to make a difference. And if he calls us, who are we to doubt? Are we quite, well, God, did you make a mistake? The answer is no, I didn't make a mistake. Yeah, God knows our weaknesses. He knows our struggles and he, he doesn't want us to remain there. And he gives us a spirit to help change us daily you know, in a way that we can be victorious in that because Jesus makes us victorious. But in spite of our struggles, God's called us. He knew, he knows about our stuff. And in spite of that, he calls us. He wants to use us to do amazing things. So this morning, God calls us, chooses us and calls us today. What's your response going to be? What's your response going to be to God this morning? He chooses you. He's chosen you. And he calls you. What's your response? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning that we can come face to face with you. And I thank you this morning for the story of your disciples. And Lord, I thank you that you gave them permission to doubt. Not in you. But you allowed them to wrestle with themselves. And Lord, I pray this morning that that you will help each one of us, Lord, to to do whatever you ask us to do. Lord, that you'd help us to say whatever you ask us to say. Lord, that we'll be willing to go wherever you ask us to go. Lord, we'll be willing to be whoever you ask us to be. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to uh, achieve, not achieve, but help us to walk in the places you need us to walk, that we could shine your love and your light to those around us. Lord, help us to believe in your call. Help us to believe in us as much as you believe in us. Help us to understand that, that we're not a mistake. Help us to understand that you have chosen and placed us in our unique places. And you've called us to be salt and light, to bring hope and love to a desperate and needy world. And I thank you right now, Lord Jesus, that you are in heaven. I thank you right now that you are at the place of highest honor. And right now, Lord, that you are praying for us. That you're talking to Father God about us. And I thank you for your beautiful Holy Spirit that you've given us to empower us to achieve all that you called us to be. Lord, I thank you for your call and I thank you for your love. Amen. God bless.